I'm actually going to be, uh, we're going to do a word study tonight uh, and come to find out, I was talking with my wife this afternoon and she talked a little bit about this with the ladies this morning. And it, it may seem as though we get together and we plan these things. The truth is she just writes my sermon notes. All right. And that's where the, the continuity comes from. Uh, there was a, a mixed group of laughter and scowls. So I, I'd say we're, we're pretty balanced tonight. That's good. Uh, we're going to be look at the word prevented or prevent. Now, we, we have touched briefly on this and I gave a brief explanation of it at one point in time. But this is a word that if we have a better understanding of it, as we study throughout the Word of God, we find that word used 17 different times in one form or another. Either prevent, prevented, preventest, okay, in, in like manner. And so as you're, as you're looking down through these, obviously you don't have them there in front of you, but as we go down through these, we're going we're gonna to look at these things. I'm going to give you some definitions of that. Uh, as you look it up, uh, say I used the Oxford English Dictionary and saw where the, uh, the first usage of this word as such is used in this, in this form. Okay? And, and again, the reason we are able to do that is, yes, those are man's words. Those are man's definitions. However, that is what people were understood that word to mean in that time period. All right, so when the King James translators translated from Greek and Hebrew into English, these words had this meaning. So they had this in mind in their understanding as the Holy Ghost guided that interpretation. Okay, And this is why we are able to use things like that. Um, and again, the Oxford or the uh, uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary is a fine dictionary. Um, the only fallacy, if there is a, a shortcoming in the 1828, I would say it is this. It's an American dictionary, and the King James Bible is an English Bible. Okay, And there are, uh, you know, uh, Webster was Puritan, so there is that bit of a Puritan mindset bend in some of the definitions and such. Uh, so it's, it's maybe, it's right up there, maybe not quite as good. Um, ultimately, and there are places where I found, you know, the Word of God defines something absolutely perfectly, and it says it flat out, this is what this is. And there are places where the Oxford English Dictionary kind of falls short in that. Okay? In a case like that, what do you do? Well, use your Bible. Okay? Truly, what you want to do is look through, and, and again, as, as we've done before, you look at every single place a word is used in that Bible. Okay? And in reading those, you may not be able to get a definition of something that you can state, this is what this word means. But you have a greater understanding of how God uses that. All right? There's an understanding. There are some words that I know what they are. They are in my vocabulary. I use them all the time. But I couldn't define them for you. Okay? And if you were to think hard enough, I'm sure you would find something like that in your own vocabulary. My vocabulary is so small, though. Um, but the word we're looking at tonight is prevent. Now, when we look at this thing of preventing something, we often will think of, you know, uh, if somebody is at the door and they're stopping somebody from coming in, we would say they are preventing that person from coming in. That is one form of that word, but it's actually the secondary definition. Okay, Starting from Old English, which is prior to 1000 AD, all right, that's the time frame of that. Starting in Old English, that is where that definition was used as. Okay? That it's the opposite of that. Okay? It's actually, and 
as we as we look down through these, we'll, we'll uh, I'll define some of them. But we're going to start in in Second Samuel twenty two. Second Samuel twenty two is where Psalm eighteen comes from. All right, it's it's Psalm eighteen is the account of Second Samuel twenty two and and vice versa. All right, and so we'll start here. This will this will start for a, a a text to begin with. We're going to read from verse one all the way down to verse six, and then I'll give you a couple of definitions of what the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, defines that word prevented. Psalm 22, or sorry, (laughs) 2 Samuel 22. And David spake unto the Lord with the words of, of this song, in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Now, before we go any further, the Lord just reminded me, hey, nobody prayed. So, Terry Miller, would you pray for us now as we seek the Lord's face tonight? Amen. Thank you. All right, we're going to look down through some of these here, but verse 2 says this, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And there's a good definition of calling on the name of the Lord, to be saved from your enemies. Okay? You see how the Bible defines that very well. Verse 5. When the waves of death come past me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell come past me about. The snares of death prevented me. All of a sudden, we've seen a shift. Okay? I believe what we have just seen starting at verse 1 all the way up to verse 4, is David speaking. I believe there's some messianic implication there, but in verses 5 and 6, there is a clear shift into who is actually speaking. David is the one speaking these words. But when you go into Psalm 18 and you see this all played out, and and we'll, we'll get there eventually, when you see this all played out in Psalm 18, it is clearly messianic. Now, what's interesting, it's almost the same exact wording. Okay. This is that same thing recorded over there in the book of the Psalms. This is the spirit of Christ speaking through David as a prophet, David being a prophet, the spirit of Christ speaking through him. And by such, we have this prophecy. So he's speaking about the sorrows of hell compassing him about. Now you can look in the pages before this thing of where... You know, David is running from his life, and you can see, yeah, he had ungodly men around him and, and all this. But where were the sorrows of hell compassing him? At, at what point did, did you see in 2 Samuel leading up to this point where literally the sorrows of hell compassed him? It's not there. That is, again, that's one indication this has shifted into messianic prophecy. Okay. Uh, the sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Now, we will continue on in this. But we come across this first usage. It's the very first place this word prevented is used. Now, the snares of death prevented me. What does a snare do? All right, it grabs hold of you. 
okay? It holds you back. And so you could say, yeah, in this instance, it is a preventing. It's literally preventing him from going. But consider this. To appear in front of, to meet or receive with welcome and help or hostility and to confront. To appear in front of, to meet or receive with hostility. The snares of death prevented me. Could it be that the snares of death appeared in front of Jesus Christ? They went in front of him. They welcomed them, him into their arms. Okay? This is one indication that we get that there is a little bit more to this than just a hindering. Okay? And the more we look down through these, we're going to see some more of this laid out. Uh, look at Psalm 2219, or 2 Samuel 2219, I'm sorry. Verse 19, it says, uh, well, look up at 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. Again, to go before, to meet or receive with welcome, help, or hostility. It also means to confront, to prevent. One way, again, that you can kind of narrow this down even further into a very simplified definition of, of to prevent is that it is a pre-event, right? Pre-event, pre-event. And when you think of it that way, it's going before, it's welcoming, okay? I prevented Brother Mike Bath this morning in that I came down to the church first. I got everything unlocked, turned on the lights, and then was there to welcome him. Okay, I prevented him. Now, did I stop him from coming into the church? Not at all, but I got here first. Okay, um, to anticipate or to act in advance. That's another way of, of defining prevent. It's something that is going on before something else, whether laying a trap, whether uh, welcoming, you know, preparing a welcome for somebody. Uh, we could look at it this way. When we came back from a clavic, our family prevented us. All right. They had a welcoming party for us. They, they had a welcome home arrangement. Okay. They drove all the way up there, picked us up from the airport, got us from the airport, brought us all, you know, they prevented us in that. They welcomed us back. They went ahead in advance and prepared for us. Now, this can be a good thing, as in that, or it can be meaning enemies, laying snares and traps. Think about this. When do... Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go back into some actual history here. In World War II, before uh, 1944... And where Hitler had conquered France and, you know, marched on into Paris and, and started building his Atlantic Wall, okay? And he used all those conscripts of, of uh, prisoners of war and they're building all these concrete bunkers and, and uh, the, uh, the steel dragon's teeth on the beaches and everything. And they also buried a lot, a lot of landmines, landmines in the millions on those beaches. Now, did they do that? as the soldiers, the allied soldiers were coming ashore. Not at all. What did they do? They prevented them. They went ahead before, set up all those barriers, set up all those landmines, built all those bunkers, 
okay? Yeah, in a way, they were welcoming them. Come and get it, you know. But that is, an, that is a, a good illustration of it, what, what it is to prevent in a negative sense, okay? So in, in our modern English, what we use as the word prevent you know, you're going to prevent this from happening. You're going to stop it from happening. You're going to go ahead and you're going to do whatever it takes to stop that thing from happening. But that is the secondary definition of that word. Literally, it originated meaning to go before and to prepare, to do something in advance of. Okay? And so as we look down through these different definitions and such, let's keep that in mind. The first place we get that it is a clear a clear use in this sense is in Job 3.12. So let's turn to Job chapter 3 and verse 12. Job is right in the middle of his calamity and, and things have just all fallen apart for him and he is just laying out his, his calamity here. All right? Job chapter 3 and verse 12, he says this. Well, you know what? Let's back up. Um, let's look at verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breasts that I should suck? Now, he's speaking of his birth. Verse, verse 11 clearly is stating he wished he had never been born. Why didn't I die? Why was I ever born? And you would think it would say, why did the knees not prevent me? Why didn't they stop me? But it, they didn't stop him. They actually welcomed him. The knees of his mother welcomed him into this world. Okay? You mothers understand all of that. And this is, again, we're seeing this laid right out here. He was welcomed in. They appeared in front of him. Okay, so those knees prevented him. Um, let's look at this uh, further. Look at verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 27. Job chapter 30. Look at verse 26. It says this, when I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented me. All right. And here again, we have a day of affliction welcoming Job. Okay. They didn't stop Job. They didn't hold him back. All right. It's the exact opposite of that. They were there welcoming him into this trouble. Okay? Um, Job 41. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with the, the book of Job, you know this is now God speaking. Job 41. Let's see. This is speaking of Leviathan. I'll just, I'll just read a little bit here. Verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Or, with his, or his tongue with a cord, which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? With a thorn? Uh, down to verse 8, it says, Lay thine hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. 
Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now, that repaying from the Lord, why would somebody that prevented the Lord from doing something, why would that, you know, make him qualified to be paid? Okay? And so, again, looking at this thing, uh, to act in anticipation of, in preparation of a future event, to anticipate or act in advance, to act before more quickly than a person or agent, Okay, you see a tornado coming and you're going to prevent that tornado and go and get your family and go down into the storm cellar. Okay, so all of these things kind of tie together in this. Psalm 18 goes into the same thing again of of Psalm 20, of, of 2 Samuel 22. Um, let's go to, however, Psalm 21. Psalm 21, we will start in verse 1. It says this, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips, Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest him it him, even length of days forever and ever. Now, again, if this was speaking of hindering somebody from doing something, how would that fit in what is being spoken of? These are spoken, this, this is God's blessings being poured out on this one. Okay? This is the blessing of God going before. He is literally being prevented by the blessings of God. Okay, um, acting on, going before with guidance or help. Okay, and so in this instance, thou preventest him. God is going before and he's with, he's with guidance and help. He's going before him with blessings of goodness. Okay, he's not hindering him with blessings and, and goodness. He's going before him. Uh, let's see, along these same lines, Psalm 59. Look at verse 9. It says, Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Now, what's really beautiful about this, and, and I kind of talked, I think it was Brother Mike Bat this afternoon about this, considering this as messianic, okay, and, and there are some other implications here. When you consider that God said that he would, uh, uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. All right, we were talking about the footstool this afternoon. And there's two things in this, in your Bible that are spoken of as being God's footstool. The earth is his footstool and the temple is his footstool. All right. Who here was the enemy of God 
before they were born again. Every single person in this room. Some of you aren't born again. I get that. All right. You're seeking this great God of heaven. But listen to this. You are the enemy of God. And if the temple is God's footstool, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Could we enter this? Until I make thine enemies thy temple. Are we not the temple of the Holy Ghost? Did he not make us such? Isn't that beautiful? Now, you know, contend with that if you like. That's fine. I've, but that, that to me is just a very precious thing. And look at this. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. And then he says, slay them not. Now, if your enemies are there and you don't want them slain, there's something else that you want for them. If this is messianic and this is Jesus Christ speaking, the God of my mercy shall prevent me. He'll go before me. He'll make a way. God shall let me see my desire. What do you think Jesus Christ's desire would be upon his enemies? That they would become his footstool. That they would become his temple. That they would become his children. Okay? It's just, it's just, just a little something. It's not much, I know. But to me, that's... That was, that was just precious when that kind of, that just kind of clicked with me. Oh, let's see. Oh, Psalm 79, another perfect one. Just a few pages over. In this case, I believe this would fall into the, uh, the thing of uh, preventing means to come, to arrive, to appear before, to proceed, maybe even to outrun, okay? Psalm 79 Oh, yeah, let's look at verse 8. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Speedily, to go on ahead before you, to make a way of preparation before you, to go and welcome you, those tender mercies going before, okay? Do we see, is, is it starting to come a little clearer now? And again, in things like this, and it's the same way with the word let, I understand that that's, we don't use the word let to mean to hinder, which is interesting because both words mean almost the same thing, right? To let means to allow, okay? What we're seeing here tonight is the primary definition of prevent in the King James Bible is to go before and to allow something to happen or to welcome something, all right? In this, on the flip side of that, today in our colloquial minds, in our, in our English minds, we look at this word of, of prevent and we think, oh, it's a hindering, it's a stopping. And then over there in 2 Thessalonians, what we saw is that he that letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. He's withholding something. All right? So it's, it's almost the same thing. The, the definitions are very, very close and it, it, that just fascinates me. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, another good one. Psalm 88. Look at the start in, uh, I guess, verse 11. Psalm 88 and verse 11. Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? or thy fullness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be known in the dark? 
and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Now, is it hindering God? Not at all. But they are going out before him. In the morning, his prayer is welcoming God. How do you welcome God in the morning? With prayer. Okay. Again, seeing this, it, it kind of just falls right into place with this definition. Now, Psalm 119. I believe this is where you had the ladies this morning. There's, there's two places where it's used in Psalm 119. So turn there. Now, if I can't read my wife's handwriting on these notes, you'll have to forgive me. Tongue in cheek entirely. Psalm 119, verse 147. Let's start at the beginning of that, that group. Cough. 145. It says this, I cried with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord. I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. And this is the only two places it's used in Psalm 119. It's right there, prevented and prevent. But consider this. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. Now, he didn't stop the dawning of the morning from coming, did he? Not at all. But what this shows is he got up betimes. He got up early in the morning, and he welcomed the morning. He was able to be there to welcome that morning coming. Not only that, but he went before the morning and prepared. Okay? That's the context of what you see. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. Now, verse 148, mine eyes prevent the night watches. And there's a purpose of that, that I might meditate in thy word. Now, how would your eyes prevent the night watches? You know, they say looks can kill, all right? And that night watch comes out and he's about to start his rounds and and you look at him. Does that stop him? No, all right? This isn't speaking of the literal stopping of a night watch. But when those night watches come, Right? It's, it's that the evening has fallen and that, that diligent one who comes out to watch over the camp, watch over the city, whatever it may be. They're out there. They're defending. He says, mine eyes prevent the night watches. What do you think the purpose of that would be? Partly. Think about this with the evening wolves that come. Okay, the Bible speaks of the evening wolves. And if I could spiritualize this for just a moment, you will find that life is always the hardest at night. When you have something that is oppressing you, there is something that is troubling your mind and you're sore vexed by this thing. When is it the hardest it's at night. Uh, you talk to, in, you know, in doing it for a little while, helping with uh, Kevin Dusenberry in the funeral home, uh, when a family loses a loved one and he's out of town, we'll go and we'll help that family out. 
And what's interesting is the vast amount of people that pass away right around midnight or shortly thereafter. I don't know if they have no strength and they just give up. I, I have no idea what it is. Those of you who have maybe worked a medical floor before, okay, when do those things happen? When are people most vexed by that stuff? It's at night. I've heard testimony of some of the nurses in here that in talking, you know, that like when the moon is full, okay, those of you that work, uh, you know, with um, uh, the elderly, you know, when that moon comes up, they're under bondage to the elements of this world, okay? But it's always at night when it's the worst. Now, for your own life, whatever it may be, each and every one of us has something that is a recurring evening wolf, if I could put it that way. Maybe it's bitterness against someone. Maybe it's anger over a situation. Uh, maybe it's fear, a dread of being alone. Okay, Whatever it may be, that evening wolf is coming in the next few hours. And lest that gets the best of you, take the psalmist's advice. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate, meditate in thy word. The meditation of God's word in those night watches is the only thing that will fight off those evening wolves. But you can't be meditating on the word unless your eyes have prevented that, have gone before those night watches. As you, you've read of the promises of God, you've read of the peace of God, you've read of the power of God, you, of alliteration, ahoy, how about that? Um, I don't alliterate my sermons. How about that? All right, you, you, you go before and you read about all of these things, about this great God of heaven and that peace that passeth all understanding. And he giveth his beloved sleep. I've prevented the night watches with that very, that very scripture. And I've meditated on that before. He giveth his beloved sleep. I've gone to sleep at night repeating that word over and over and over and over. And sure enough, Sleep comes upon you, all right? Sleep comes upon some of you in here too, all right? I'm glad you can be at peace with your God. Tongue in cheek. But, but this is that, that preventing of those night watches going before. Now, did I teach that properly? That's <laughs> uh, a terrible sense of humor. All right. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah 21. We will have time to look down through all of these. And so it'll be, it'll be good to see every place this is used, 17 different places, okay? Isaiah 21, and I guess we'll start in verse 13. It says this, The burden upon Arabia... In the forest in Arabia shall ye lodge, O ye traveling companies of Dedanim. The inhabitants of the land of Tema brought water to him that was thirsty. They prevented with their bread him that fled. For they fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, and from the bent bow, and from the grievous war. Now, did they stop them from running away from that war? Or did they appear in front of them? to greet them with help. 
right? They were there welcoming them. They had that bread. They had that refreshment. Somebody tra- running from a war is, is sore vexed, okay? They're exhausted. You see this pictured in, um, oh, Hushai. Hushai, when Absalom takes over the kingdom and David and his men run out of the city, they flee, okay? Hushai catches up to him. And his, his clothes are rent. He has dirt upon his, he has the earth upon his head. Okay, he, is, he has just come from a battle. All right, and in that, they need help. They need refreshing. Um, think about uh, over in Ukraine, at the beginning of that, where there was all those refugees leaving the country. We could say that our, our missionary that we support over in Romania, I won't use the name just because, um, but he was over there and he was preventing those refugees with food, with water, with housing, with transportation, with the scriptures, with preaching. Okay. Uh, that was a great blessing to those that he prevented them. He went before them and he aided them. He guided them. He helped them. And it's the same thing that we see here. The inhabitants of the land of Tema brought water to him that was thirsty. They prevented with their bread him that fled. Okay. Uh, let's go to Amos. Amos is the next one. Now it's going to take us the rest of the 20 minutes just to find Amos. Amos is one of the larger of the minor prophets. And Amos chapter 9, and it's interesting, Amos is the... It has the distinction of being the only one that contains Amos chapter 9. It was funny. I'll, I'll just laugh at my own self. That's fine. Thank you. Amos chapter 9. Let's look at this. Um, let's start at verse 8. It says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the, the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. Like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So they have it in their mind that all of this evil is not going to overtake them. It's not going to go before them. It's not going to confront them. It's not going to, it's not going to come at them with hostility. All right? It's, it's really quite a vain belief that they have at this point, that this isn't going to come upon them. It would be like all the nations of the earth marching against the United States and putting blockades all along our coastal ports, all along the north, the Canadians are going to invade. They're, they've built up their armies and they're there. All across the southern border, there's a huge army there. And people still in Kansas saying, oh, the enemy's not going to overtake us. They're not going to prevent us. They're not coming. It's not really going to happen. Okay. Uh, just to put it in some perspective that we could, that we could take. All right. Um, but it's interesting. You study out verse 9 at some point on your own. Think about the sifting. All right. What does sifting do? It separates. But look at that wording. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Okay, Study that out. Figure out what that means. That's, 
That is a very interesting study. I did it a long time ago, all right? It's been a little while, so if you come to me and ask me, I'm going to tell you, I honestly don't remember everything about that, but it's a very good study. I do remember that much, okay? Um, Matthew 17, Now we're going to jump into the New Testament. And again, the New Testament is the first testament that comes after the Old Testament. Matthew 17 you know, I heard uh, somebody say the other day, the only thing better than dad jokes are pastor jokes. And I, I, I agree. Start at verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth your not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? He saith unto him, of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take, and give unto them for me and thee. Now, did he stop him at the door? No, because it says he came into the house. So he, he was just in there before him, and he was there to welcome him and to address him as he came in the door. Okay? He prevented him. He went before. Um, in this case, we can look at it being this way. Um, let's see here. I guess we could say, you know, to appear in front of, to come or to arrive or to appear before, to precede him, all right? Uh, and, and so looking at all these various applications of this, there are a couple where you can say, yeah, I can see that being a hindering, okay? I, I won't contend with that at all. But the vast majority of what you see of this word prevent It is somebody going before. It is somebody welcoming. It is somebody doing something beforehand. Okay? And we have one more place that we're going to go to, and and this is is the clincher for me on this whole thing. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll get there in a second. Don't turn there yet. But for me, doing these studies like this helps me be grounded in the accuracy of the King James Bible. Understanding these are more than just old words. This is more than just old English. It's actually early modern English. Okay, that's the, the legal, the, the, not legal, I suppose you could call it legal. It's the designated term for what the King James Bible was written in. Old English, as I said, is before 1000 AD. Okay, for that, the sound TH makes, th, okay, it's a circle with a line connected to it. It's like a B. It's kind of shaped like this, right? A B would be like this. That sign right there makes the th sound in early English, right? In old English. That's, again, that's just fascinating to me. I love languages and stuff. But uh, early modern English is a very accurately spoken language. Again, the King James Bible was translated at the height of the spoken English language. It was at its absolute peak. The translators, the 53 that began, the 47 that finished, most all of them 
All of them spoke at least three languages. Most of them spoke upwards of 15 languages quite fluently. They could dream in ancient Greek. Okay, they could they could converse going from Hebrew to Greek to Aramaic to Latin to German to English to Italian. I mean, they could do that all in one conversation with each other and not skip a beat. Not only that, but they understood the composition of the words, the composition of the sentences. They had that level of understanding. Again, as as I like to point out, and I think this is a prudent time to do it when they uh, today, the brightest minds in the world go into technology or medicine, or you know, rocket science. You know, f- for us, you know, the epitome of, oh, it's not rocket science, right? That's the epitome of knowledge and understanding is rocket science. You know, the ability for people to, uh, you know, send a rocket millions of miles into space and then land a rover on a planet careening through the universe at thousands of miles an hour and that it would be able to land within you know, 10 yards of where they planned it to, remotely from the earth. That, that is far beyond my comprehension, the ability that those people have. In 1611, those same minds were applied to classical languages. The study of language. Think of the brain power it takes to do those types of things. Again, my brain is not at that level, right? But those men would have fit in perfectly. They could have been trained in that type of technology had they lived today. That's, that's who would have done it, right? Those brightest minds were set to studying languages. And so when they picked a word like prevent, they knew exactly what they were doing. The economy of words that the King James translators used is unparalleled in any literature today. Of the... I'm going to get the number number exactly wrong, but it's around 979,000 words in a King James Bible. Brother Ken Weeder could rattle that off still today. Every once in a while, you know, when you talk to him, he could rattle off exactly how many. I've tried to memorize that number. I can't do it, (laughs) okay? But that's the number of words in that King James Bible. Of all those nine, almost one million words, did you know that only 8,000 individual words were used? Only 8,000. That's it. That's unparalleled in literature. Uh, And I can't remember the exact numbers, but the closest one would be writings of Shakespeare. It was a collection of Shakespeare's writing, and that was around 500,000 words total in that collection. And there was like something like 35,000 words, different words used to make up all of that 500,000. Okay. Just the economy of words, the simplicity of it. It's just, it's unparalleled. Because God did it. All right? Honestly, he could have taken an imbecile like myself, and he could have translated that thing over had he so chosen. But what he did was he chose the brightest minds in the world at the time to do this. Now let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. This will be our our closing one for tonight. Oh, let's start at verse 13. That's a good division here. It's a blessed passage of scripture. All right. Now keep in mind what our definition of prevent means. Okay. 
The vast majority, if not every single place that's used in your King James Bible, means to go before, to act in advance, to make preparation for, you know, to welcome, either with help or hostility, okay? Keep, keep that in mind. Verse 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Okay, and interesting point of, of reference here. Think about the mourners at Lazarus. When Lazarus died, those mourners that came to visit him, okay, they were wailing, they were crying, and all of that. Paul says, we're not going to do that anymore. We don't mourn as those that have no hope, okay? We rejoice. Yeah, we mourn for the loss, but we rejoice for the reunion. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise second, first. We will not prevent them. We're not going first. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. He even tells you that's what it means right there. How cool is that? I don't know. To me, that's, that's just fascinating. <laughs> and again, the best, the best thing that I have as to why that is is because they've got six more feet to go. I don't know. Okay? But they're going to rise first. Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. All right? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, you can find comfort in the literal words of God. It's not just in the word of God, but in the words contained in the word. Okay? Including the word prevent. That is an accurate word that God chose to symbolize going before. We're not going to prevent those. All right? It's not saying we're, it's not, saying we're not going to stop them. Okay, which we're not. But he literally says, they're going to go first. All right? And again, this, this is just fascinating to me. Uh, maybe you sat through this whole thing and you thought, well, that was kind of a bit of a waste of time. But here we are at 7 o'clock and we've checked our box for the day. And praise the Lord, we can go home. But I don't know. Th- this type of study greatly helps me. It helps me to get an understanding of how God uses a word. It, it, does, it can be useful to have a dictionary to define it, such as the Oxford English Dictionary, understanding what the King James translators in 1611 and years prior, you know, had in mind when they translated that word. But honestly, you could go down through here, and if you did an honest examination of that word prevent, I believe you could have come to the same conclusion without that definition. Even just right there in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. You study that thing out and you look at it. We're not going to prevent them. They're going to go first. All right. So to prevent means that they're going first. All right. We are not going to go before them. All right. Um, so that's all we got. Uh, I, think, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to close in prayer tonight. So you can go ahead and shut that off. That's fine. Have a good night, folks. Let's close in prayer. 
Father, we do thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, that we can study it, that we can trust it. Uh, Lord, that you again prove time and time again with your word that your word is perfect. Uh, thank you for helping us to have understanding of these things. I pray, God, that we can take these principles that we learn from this and apply it to other areas of study as we're, as we're ser- searching the, the word of God. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this uh, examination of this word prevent, being able to see how you use it throughout scripture. And God, I pray that uh, maybe there was a verse in here tonight that is yet another piece of the faith of Christ being built in a lost person. Lord God, I pray that you would draw us nigh unto you through these things. We thank you so much for it. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for his, his, uh, his offering, for his sacrifice. We praise you for his blood. We praise you for his resurrection. Uh, we praise you for his death. Lord, we praise you for his holiness, for his righteousness. Uh, Lord, we praise you for his judgment, for his wrath upon mankind. And oh God, we praise you that he's our king. Lord God, I pray that you would magnify him in us tonight that we might extol him before the nations. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Have a good night, folks.